Bible reading this morning, we will take in from the books of the Acts of the Apostle, chapter 4, we will be reading through the verses 1 to 22. I'm reading from the New International Version. The priest and the captain of the temple guards and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the numbers of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the ruler, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Ananias, the high priest, was there. Ananias, the high priest, was there, and so was Sapphira, John, Alexandra, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if you if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and, and ask how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stand before you healed. He is the stone you, you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no, uh, no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see this man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with this man? They asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem know they have done out an outstanding miracle and we have not denied it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn this man to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them again and commanded them to not, not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourself whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they left them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what, has hap for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. May the Lord, may the Lord bless the recent reading of his words. Thank you, Ralph. Welcome. Good morning. Welcome to Windsor District Baptist Church. Or as is probably more accurately said, welcome to the Fellowship of the Spirit Born. 
here at Windsor. My name is Jonathan. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I'd love to catch up with you after the service. Uh, if for some reason that's not possible, feel, always feel free to contact us uh, during the week. Uh, we have been going through a series uh, thematically through the Bible asking the question, what is the church? And in this segment, we're looking at the church in relation to the Holy Spirit. And we see that specifically the church is the fellowship of those who have been born of the Spirit. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be diving a bit deeper into that to try and understand why we were given new birth in the Spirit and to what end and to what purposes. So as I said, welcome. Welcome to the fellowship of the Spirit born. Uh, the big question this morning is, what does the Spirit enable us to do? I think a lot of people ask that question. What, what does it mean to be born of the Spirit? What, what are we now able to do? Uh, and maybe that's because of our society and its emphasis on performance. But I think we miss the better question, which is, who does the Spirit enable us to be? We often look at the Holy Spirit like a superpower that Christians have. And somehow, if you could pull beneath the layers of our clothing, we'd have a big HS on our chest that says, Holy Spirit, which means we're now superhuman. But in reality, the image that we're given is one of new birth, which means we are born to be something. How quickly we lose sight of human dignity when we ask, what is your purpose? And we forget the fact that you are even here shows that you have inherent worth. Similarly, we reduce the significance of the Christian when we reduce the, the rebirth in the spirit to simply a particular function or a performative act. And instead, we ought to be asking, who did the spirit make us to be? And I encourage you, if we begin to begin thinking through, who am I called to be now that I live through the spirit? your categories will broaden and widen. This morning we're going to see that the Spirit gives us birth so that we might be witnesses to Jesus' reign. We are witnesses to Jesus' reign. What do we mean by his reign? We mean by his reign, his, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father. From the time of Pentecost Onward, the church has been filled with the Spirit in order to proclaim the authority of Jesus Christ. We preach Him and His resurrection. We don't preach self-help. We don't preach good ideas of how to navigate life. We preach Christ the risen Lord and us as His servants for your sake. The overview today is going to actually start back in chapter 3 where we're going to see that the Holy Spirit enables the apostles' witness by giving three things. First, power to heal in Jesus' name, miraculously. Second, power to preach Jesus' resurrection boldly. And thirdly, power to suffer for Jesus' sake courageously. Power to heal, power to preach, power to suffer for Jesus' sake. Before we get into this, let's pray and let's ask the Spirit's enabling presence for us to understand his word. Father, we 
are in dire need in these days of greater clarity about who you are and who we're called to be. And so as we open the scriptures this morning, we ask that through your spirit, you would give us wisdom and insight to understand who we are in these days. Father, there is so much that is beyond our comprehension, but we know that your spirit enables us to comprehend spiritual realities. And we know you are the author of these realities. So Lord, would you please place upon us a conviction and a leading and a peace and a joy that come from knowing Christ the Lord. It's in his name we pray, amen. We begin by looking at power in the name of Jesus. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10, or pull out your smartphone, or if you want, just listen to a great story. You should note the context here of Acts chapter 3, that After Acts chapter 1, Jesus said to the disciples that power would come upon them when he sent the Comforter, when he sent the Holy Spirit, and that they would be his witnesses. That's important. Then this is fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, when on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples, and Peter stands up and he gives this great sermon, which leads to the conversion of about 3,000 men that day. Then, in Acts chapter 3, we read this. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. This is the same Peter and John that Jesus found on the Sea of Galilee, these fishermen. And they are going up to the temple at the time of prayer. Verse 2, now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. If you were a person in that day who had a chronic condition like this gentleman, uh, you, you needed to depend upon the generosity of outsiders and what better place to be put than where people are going into the temple. They're preparing to devote themselves to God might be your best chance to get remembered uh, for someone's generosity. Verse three, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. This is a man who has never walked in his entire life. This is not some psychosomatic illness. This is not an injury that he sustained. This is a defect from birth that has kept this man from being able to stand on his own two feet. And every day as he has passed by, person after person walking through the temple gates to pray, he is reminded of his inadequacy. He's reminded of his incapacity. He's reminded of what he can't do and how he is dependent upon the needs of, upon the generosity of others to give him the help just to live. And so he thinks when he gets a comment, oh, someone has taken notice of my plight, and in their pity, they will give to me something to get by on. Little did he know he was about to receive something more than pity. 
He was about to receive power. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I would be, wouldn't you? (laughs) What an amazing story. What an amazing story. This is the kind of evidence that we find in the scriptures that point to the power of Jesus at work, which is what Luke had said would happen. Luke had said that Jesus' name, that Jesus would continue to work through his name as borne by his apostles and the disciples throughout generations. And the church is doing that still to this day. But this is the kind of undeniable work that Christ does. But I want you to notice a few things about the healing. First of all, Peter didn't even pray. He didn't even utter a word. The man did not arrive at some sort of level of understanding, some some level of right theology or doctrine before he received the healing. Peter, simply ministering in the name of Jesus, stuck out his hand, took hold of the man, and lifted him up. There is power in the name of Jesus, brothers and sisters. And as Peter's about to make clear, this power is due to who Jesus is, not who we are. It is not the power of us somehow figuring out the supernatural. It is not the power of us in our own effort, in our own strength, becoming holy enough that we can somehow tap into the divine power and release it for others. This healing is remarkable because it is attributed to Jesus Christ, who, though not present, is acting through his disciples, here commissioned and filled with the Holy Spirit. Every sign, every wonder that is truly done in the name of Jesus is meant to be a testimony to the authority of the risen Christ. We need to be clear about that. Anyone who starts directing the attention away from Christ in the performance of any sort of sign or wonder, and they may even be legitimate signs or wonders, people, that person is not in keeping with the Holy Spirit. I say this because the Bible tells us in latter days people will come and perform false signs. The signs are not false because they're somehow fraudulent. They're false because of where they direct the attention and where they direct the glory. So again, the miraculous, the truly miraculous done in the name of Jesus Christ is only done in the Holy Spirit when it puts Christ into focus. Are we clear on that? So if anyone comes to you, if anyone comes alongside you in your life, starts ministering to you, performs something for you, your question ought not to be, I wonder if I can do that too. Your question ought to be, is the glory going to Jesus Christ? Does this enable me to walk away from this encounter, away from this place, thinking more of Jesus, thinking more of his power, thinking more of his authority, 
Does it remind me that the Galilean who died on the cross is actually reigning from heaven? If that is the case, then you can trust this is a work of the Holy Spirit. There is power in the name of Jesus. I encourage you, brothers and sisters, as you go around and as you minister, as you go through your life, be ready for the name of Jesus to mean something. Not as some sort of incantation that we just sort of speak out. It's not in the, it's not in the formulaic utterance of the name of Jesus. This is what the seven sons of Sceva found out later in the book of Acts when they went around casting out demons or trying to cast out demons. They just used the name as some sort of formula. They said, in the name of the Jesus that Paul preaches, they tried to exercise demons. And you know what happened to them? The demons thoroughly trashed them and left them naked and running for their lives. It is not a mere recitation of the name of Christ. It is a ministry out of covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. It is your incorporation into his body his fellowship, the presence of his spirit in you. That, that is how you minister in the name of Jesus Christ. So don't waste your time trying to work out how to find the, the special formula to unlock the spirit's power. He doesn't need you to be a spiritual alchemist. Christ is on the throne. That's all you need to know. The Spirit of God indwells those who are His and who belong to Him. Minister in that confidently. The more we become preoccupied with trying to replicate the signs and the wonders that the Spirit has done before, the greater risk we have of moving the glory off of Christ and onto ourselves and missing what He's trying to do in our present moment. It's this tricky line. Because sometimes we want to rule it all out. And other times we want to investigate it and, and, and work at it so much that we just are trying to perform what the Spirit's already done. In reality, he wants us to be open, to recognize that there's power in the name of Jesus, to minister in that power. But to never do it in a way that seeks to promote ourselves, that seeks to control God or domesticate him, but only in a way that would uplift and exalt Christ. Be ready, but be humble. Next, there's not just power in the name of Jesus, but there's power to proclaim boldly. This is, uh, just so you know, the message that I'm preaching you this morning is a message the enemy does not want you to hear. This is, that is so plainly spelled out in the pages of scripture is absolutely life-changing and life-altering. Because if you and I live in the reality that Jesus Christ reigns and we come under that reign, we will be filled with such peace and joy that the world will not know what to do with us. So if you see me being a bit, feeling a bit weak, feeling a bit overcome at points in this message, it's because this truth is so important. Look at verses 11 to 26. 
while the man held on to Peter and John, you can just imagine there, he's clinging on. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. This is sort of one set of columns and another set of columns with, with sort of a covered portico over top. And they're running to them. Peter saw this and he says, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? What a great question. Why are you surprised about this? We've just seen the, the healing of a congenitally crippled man who's been there for 40 years. Why, why are you surprised about this, Jesus says. It's a great opening line. Peter says, excuse me, why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? Notice, Peter cannot push far enough away his own personality from what's going on here. Peter saying, why are you looking at it like we did this? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. Peter's going to say that to them three times over the course of chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4. You killed the author of life. <laughs> and you disowned, excuse me, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Faith here is not some sort of distant ordering of all the theological truths and saying, yep, I can sign my name under that. Faith here is an active disposition of trust. It's, a, it's, it's an act of reliance upon the name of Jesus. I told the people there at night service, we were talking about faith. I said, do you all realize you're exercising faith right now? Faith in these chairs. <laughs> we could all stand up. You, you know, we could stand up. We could walk around the room. We could all write a book or five books about the manufacturing and the production of chairs we could understand it inside and out, all the materials that go into it, all, you know, how to shape them, the best, the best angle, what, what, what the load capacity is. We could study all of this, but you haven't really exercised faith biblically until you sit your butt down in a chair. Faith in the scriptures is not some distant recognition that, yeah, Jesus kind of makes sense. Faith is inclining to Christ, it is resting in him, it is yielding to him, it is depending upon him. But notice Peter here, he's giving them the gospel, he's explaining to them why this healing took place. Now fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through all the prophets, saying that this Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the promised Messiah. Note the threefold offer here in the gospel. The gospel is that your sins can be wiped away because Jesus Christ is reigning. 
the promise of forgiveness is there. Everything that we have ever done that was even in the slightest way an affront to God. All of our sin expunged. Back in those days, as I was reading in Stott's commentary, when you would write you know, on a papyrus, the ink, it wouldn't have the acid, so, so the ink wouldn't, wouldn't bite into the actual papyrus. It would just sort of rest on top of the parchment. And so if you wanted to wipe it, you could simply just wipe it. You know, get, get a rag or a sponge or something, just, just wipe it off. So our sins are wiped away in Jesus Christ. Expunged from the record. This means that you don't have to carry it anymore. Your failure. Your crippling regret. But not just forgiving yourself because sometimes people like to say, well, the hardest thing to do is to forgive yourself. I'm sorry, that's not the hardest thing. The hardest thing is not forgiving yourself. The hardest thing is a holy God reconciling you to himself. A God who is utterly perfect and good and righteous to receive you back into relationship that you can actually get on your knees and pray to him and not be utterly destroyed in that moment. Is that because God's some sort of angry control freak? No, it's because of the absolute power and purity of his holiness. And so the hardest thing is really not you and I saying, oh, well, you know, okay, I'll let that one go, self. No, the hardest thing was to be reconciled to a holy God, and it has been achieved through Jesus Christ. That's the first thing on offer in the gospel. The second thing on offer is the positive, not just the removal of sins, but times of refreshing. Can we get some times of refreshing? Raise your hand if you need some times of refreshing. Come on, let's see it. Yep, yep. I'll put both hands up. There we go. Right? Lord, give us times of refreshing. This is on offer in the gospel. This is what Jesus said to the woman at the well when he said, you asked me for a drink, but if you knew, sorry, I asked you, I forget what he says. If you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink. There you go. If you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink and I would give you a drink that never makes you thirst again. This is the promise. This is what happens when you are reconciled to God, when you are brought back into relationship, when you are attached organically to your head, Jesus Christ, there is a refreshment and a renewal and a joy that's unexplainable, a peace that passes understanding, a fortitude, a graciousness, a kindness, an ability to move on and to let go, a piercing clarity about the reality of the world that you live in, the sweet, sweet comfort of knowing that God is for you, you see, all of these things combine to refresh who we are and we are transformed. Some of the most beautiful people I've met are seasoned saints in the Lord. That's not because people get better with age. <laughs> That's not automatic. You don't, you don't automatically, as you get older, suddenly become a sweet person. In fact, it's usually the opposite. And frankly, that's easy to understand because we all live in a world that's very difficult. 
So why is it that some of the sweetest, kindest, gentlest, wisest, most peaceful people on this earth are seasoned saints? They have been experiencing times of refreshing for many, many years. Maybe some of you need to go back to that well. Maybe some of you need to go back to that fountain. Stop taking your leaky bucket to the world and asking them to fill it up. A, it'll it'll all fall out by the time you get it back to yourself, but B, what they're filling it with is not living water. You have a leaky bucket. What you need is someone to install a spring a wellspring of life. And that's what Christ came to do. Peter said, your sins would be wiped away and times of refreshing would come. But that's not all he said. Until, until, listen to this, that he may send the Messiah, verse 20, who has been appointed for you. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through the holy prophets. Folks, it's all gonna turn around. It is all gonna be re- renewed. It's all going to be restored. Every single one of God's purposes is going to prevail. Every single one of God's plans is going to come to fruition. There will be no blemish or spot in the end product of what God has been doing from the beginning of creation. It will all come together. There won't be a thread hanging off. There won't be a smudge There will not be a spot. There will not be one little thing out of alignment. Every single thing is being brought back into order, back into reconciled, uniform, beautiful, glorious, reconciled peace through Jesus Christ. All of this is happening. This is the promise. So Peter is saying, we have proof that Christ is risen and this is happening, so repent. Repent and believe. And then he quotes their own scriptures to them. He says, for Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to him, to everything he tells you. Everyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from the people. And then he goes on to quote from Samuel and to quote from Abraham. And he pulls together these three great strands of the Old Testament. You say, gee, Peter must have been some real hard study. He must have had some real great academic mind. No, he didn't. He's a fisherman. He wasn't trained in this. He wasn't the kid in school who got the high marks on everything. No, he's a regular guy. But the Spirit of God has enabled him to articulate the most profound truth that is making sense of everything. Everything past and everything future and everything going on right there in their present, including the miraculous healing of this cripple who never walked in his whole life. Brothers and sisters, we need power to proclaim the gospel. Some of you are waiting around. You're waiting around until you think you have all the answers. You're waiting around until you know how it all fits. You say, well, that made sense for Peter. I don't know if I could do it. Can I just ask you, please, rely on the Spirit of God when you open your mouth. There's nothing wrong with having notes or doing study and all of that. The Lord uses that, but 
What we need in this day and age is not more preachers. We need people gossiping the gospel. We need people talking about Jesus in their everyday life. And you're not going to know how to do that. Can I tell you? You're not going to be able to orchestrate that moment. You're not going to be able to, to, to sit there and plan to say, well, my coworker's going to come up and they're going to say, they're going to look at me this way. And then I'm going to come back with this question and they're going to say that. You're never going to get there. You're not going to know. You say, that's an impossible thing to do. How on earth could I know? I'd have to know everything that's going on in this person's life. I'd have to know everything that's brought them up to this particular moment in time. How on earth am I supposed to know? You say, well, only if there was someone who knew everything about this other person, who knew everything that had gone on in their life, and who was bringing them right to this particular moment. If only you could talk to that person, and they would give you the words to say, oh, wait. Be faithful. You say, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Yes, there's some gifted evangelists, but you can also do the work of an evangelist. Satan wants you to trust the scriptures and then close them. Believe all you want in the authority of Jesus. Believe all you want. Do your church thing, brother or sister. Do it. Do your church thing. Get your spiritual fix. But don't you dare open your mouth about Christ. What would happen? And I'm happy to write it down and chronicle it. What would happen if this time next week, half of this room, half of this room, in a spirit of dependence, took an opportunity presented to them to just let the name of Jesus come off your lips? Because that's often where it starts. I'm not willing to speak the name of Jesus. Just be real with you for a minute. The world doesn't care that you go to church. Great, good for you. Somebody else is going to a temple. Somebody else is going to a mosque. Somebody else is going lawn bowling this morning. The world doesn't care about that. You can have your church. You can have your religion. You can have all this. It doesn't get real until you start talking about Jesus. Why? There's power in the name of Jesus because God has installed him as his righteous king. And when we let the name of Jesus pass through our lips, we are doing exactly what we were reborn to do, to testify to the lordship of Jesus Christ. You say the Holy Spirit's the comforter. He is. The Holy Spirit gifts me to build up the church, the body. Yes, he does. But, I challenge you, go through the book of Acts and find every single reference where someone is filled with the Holy Spirit. Not long after that filling of the Holy Spirit, do you know what they're doing? Speaking about Jesus. They're testifying. You know, we can wring our hands about the state of the church. We can wring our hands and, and say, oh, you know, it's just so terrible, you know, what's going on in society. And, and you know, we just got to stay here in, in, in our holy huddle. And, you know, I, I come back to the church and I retreat and I, I sort of, you know, eat at the spiritual soup kitchen for the week. And then I go, go back off out into the big bad world. 
Nothing's going to change until we realize we were not put here to simply occupy physical space in a particular room on a particular day of the week. That is not why you were born again. You were born again to be a living testimony in your actions, in your manner, and in your proclamation to the fact that Jesus Christ is reigning. And the beauty is, if you're willing, you won't have to force it. You see, the worst thing you could do is to take what I just said and grab the cords and start whipping yourself and start beating yourself. God's not trying to put you down. He's just saying, open your lips. Peter's given power to proclaim the gospel. Finally, Verses 1 to 21, filled with the Spirit, the apostles received power to withstand the persecution of the authorities and testify to Jesus' resurrection. Here's the scene. The priests, the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees, they come up to Peter and John while they're speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed, the Sadducees were. I mean, wouldn't you be? (laughs) In a matter of days and weeks, This new authority that they tried to squash by killing Jesus is only spreading. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And as Bill has helpfully pointed out for us, that's not something the Sadducees believed. They seized Peter and John Because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day, but many who heard the message believed, so the number of men believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, saying, by what power or what name did you do these things? Here they are. Here they are again standing in front of this half circle, this half circle of ruling council members, and they must have been thinking, this looks familiar. This looks familiar. We saw, we saw our Lord standing in this same space before these same people. And Peter must have thought, you know, I, I remember looking from a distance watching what was going on, but now, now here I am. And if you want to know the difference that the Holy Spirit makes... I encourage you to just put a bookmark in your mind right here and put a bookmark in your mind at the end of Luke's gospel. Where are the disciples at the end of Luke's gospel? They flee the crucifixion. And after he's risen, they're meeting behind a locked door. Imagine if you and I had to pull the curtains shut this morning and lock the doors because we were afraid that anybody might find out that we were here praying to Jesus Christ. That's how the disciples felt. Well, here they are now, and listen to what he says. He's given the direct question, by what power, what name did you do this? Peter, notice, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. I went to a great seminary I am a really gifted healer. (laughs) 
I've been a part of this church for a very long time. Noel Edwards was my pastor. That's a joke. You can lie. We love you, Noel. No. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And then, what does he do? He does the same thing. He has the audacity to preach the gospel to them. What must be going through Peter's mind? Well, you say, well, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, good question. What's on the Spirit's mind? What's the Spirit trying to do in this moment? Is the Spirit trying to safeguard Peter and John? Is the Spirit trying to to protect them? The Spirit seems to be throwing them right into harm's way. The Spirit says, you have rejected the cornerstone. And in verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, that means they hadn't, been to, to, they hadn't been to rabbi training. They were ordinary men. That's laymen. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Lord in heaven, would you give us unschooled, ordinary people that the world cannot say anything of except for they've been with you? You see, time with Jesus will change you. Time with Jesus will bring that refreshing. It will bring that confidence. It will bring that boldness. You see, it starts with him. And this is what's evident to the world. Notice they don't have an argument. They can't deny what the Spirit's doing. So the Spirit who enabled the healing is now facilitating the proclamation that's winning others to Christ is now giving them the defense to stand up to their accusers. So many people don't open their mouth about Jesus. They won't talk about Jesus. And the reason I hear all the time is, I'm afraid I'm going to get a question that I won't know how to answer. Well, first of all, I don't know is an okay answer. Because if you're waiting till you know everything, basically what you're telling the other person is, you should become a Christian because I know everything. That's not going to keep anybody in the Lord. Well, I knew Bob, and Bob knew everything. No. People stay walking with the Lord, not because they know Bob, because they know Jesus. So I don't know is an okay answer. The second thing is to recognize that the Spirit knows the mind of Christ. And don't be surprised if in the moment you are suddenly supplied with wisdom that you never thought you had. All those times you spent with the Lord, suddenly something will pop into your mind. Suddenly the right phrase or picture or, or, or whatever's needed in the moment will, will come to you. And Peter doesn't hold an altar call right here, but what he does do is he stands up boldly for the truth And he leaves them with a testimony. And brothers and sisters, that's all we're responsible to do. 
You and I are not responsible to make the harvest grow. You and I are simply witnesses. We are simply a canvas on which God is writing his letter, on which the gospel is being displayed. You say, I'm not perfect. I say, great. That's what the gospel's about. The more we hide our flaws, the more, the more Christianity feels stale. The more, the more antiseptic we make our Christianity, the less, the less real grace is. Do you know what I mean? Notice, this doesn't get them off the hook. They ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and then they conferred together. Notice they had to put them out of the room. They were overtaking the conversation. So Peter and John, get out of here. We need to talk. We can't have too much Holy Spirit witness going on in this place. They put them out. Then they say, what are we going to do? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they performed a notable sign. We can't deny it. But to stop this from spreading, we must warn them to speak no longer in the name of Jesus. So they send them a memo. You're not allowed to talk in the workplace about this Jesus. No longer speaking here. Verse 18, then they called them in again, commanded them not to speak or teach. Verse 19, Peter replied to John, which is right in God's eyes. Notice, he's still bringing it back to them. What would you do? What would you say? What's right in God's eyes? You be the judge. As for us, we cannot help but speaking about what we have seen and heard. Far better to be kicked to the curb by your company, by your family, by your friendship circle for the fact that you authentically testify to Jesus Christ than to remain in your company, your family, in your circle because you've denied the Lordship of Christ. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God. Look at what's going on. You have these people who are ruling, who are trying to figure out how to stop this magnificent explosion of glory going to God in Christ. So they beat them. How does all this end? It's just this big... This big kerfuffle. You know, I, I don't want to start getting into spiritual stuff, you know. Good things might happen, but look at all this trouble it's caused, you know. Look, look at this. They got to spend a night in jail. They got beaten, and you know what? The guy, I mean, frankly, I'm glad he's healed, but seriously, he's one guy. And look what, look what happened to the apostles. I mean, they were preaching in Solomon's portico. Couldn't they just, you know, think of all the sermons they could have preached. If they just could have just stayed in there and kept talking about Jesus in kind of a roundabout sort of way. Is it really worth it? Let's hear what the early church does. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and the elders had said to them, when they heard this, this is the church, their brothers and sisters, they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And this is what they prayed. Sovereign Lord. They reminded each other who the real king is who the real authority is. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. You're the one who said, God, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. God, you said that. You predicted this. And they reminded the Lord, indeed, this is what happened. 
Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Notice their trust, their understanding. And here's what they ask. Here's what they ask. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Oh, man. How often do I just want to consider other people's threats? How often do I spend considering my own fears? They say, God, you consider it. God, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs. They don't even ask for the power to heal. They say, God, let us speak, let you heal. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. As one commentator has said, and the church was unshaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so what did they do? They spoke the word of God boldly. What does it mean to be born of the Spirit? Who were you born to be? You were born to be a witness to Jesus Christ. That's what your Christian life is about. It's not just your words, by all means, it's your actions as well. We're not gonna get those right, but how on earth are we gonna be able to, to, to explain our failures when we do fail? if we can't open our mouth and talk about the grace of God that's available in Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite the band to come forward because we're out of time. Brothers and sisters, I encourage you. I encourage you. There is power in the name of Jesus. That as you spend time with him, you will know the forgiveness of your sins, the release from those burdens, that the times of refreshing will come upon your soul. And you'll be reminded that he's working all things together. Paul, and I'll finish my sermon with this. Paul would pronounce a blessing over the, the Christians in Rome. In chapter 15, verse 13, he says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Take some time this week and reflect on what's going on in that benediction. Paul is asking God to fill us with joy and peace as we trust in him. When you know Christ is risen and reigning in your life, joy and peace will flow. And then out of your life, by the power of the Spirit, will come hope. A hope that the world cannot deny. Father in heaven, will you give us grace to appreciate all that you have stored up for us in Christ. May you embolden us. May Windsor District Baptist Church
be known as a people who spend time with Jesus. May we remind the world of Christ. He is the one we praise. He is the one we proclaim because he is our king. Amen.